The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Tuesday edition of Squawkbox. These are your headlines. UK Prime Minister Theresa May's Brexit plans hit a fresh hurdle as the parliamentary speaker rules there can be no third vote on her agreement without substantial changes. What the government cannot legitimately do is to resubmit to the House the same proposition or substantially the same proposition as that of last week, which was rejected by 149 votes. U.S. stocks close in the green, but Facebook logs its worst day of the year after a broker downgrades the company on great concerns about an executive exodus and the social media giant. Plus, we've got U.S. crude holding near a four-month high as OPEC and its allies cancel their April meeting, leaving production cuts in place through June. Boeing shares slip as global regulators find clear similarities between two 737 MAX 8 crashes over the last five months as federal prosecutors and the U.S. Department of Transportation reportedly review the development of the aircraft. So I know that Willem Marx and I are on the same page at this, and I've got a word, a verb in my next read that says thwarted. I'm going to change that word to stymie. Stymie meanings hinder the progress off rather than completely knocking off the table, because this is all about British Parliamentary Convention. The House of Commons Speaker, John Burko, has, it says here, thwarted. I'm going to say stymied uh, the government's plans for a third meaningful vote on the Prime Minister's Brexit deal. In a statement, Mr Burko cited precedent that stretches back to 1604. Yes, I think Queen Elizabeth was on the uh, throne then as well, just about anyway, uh, which says fundamentally similar proposals can't be voted on more than once in the same session of Parliament. Uh, the government solicitor general said Burko's ruling presents a, quote, major constitutional crisis. Well, there's lots of interesting comment on this one as well. But Willem is in Westminster. And Willem, I believe you and I are on the same page on this one. They can bring it back. It's just how they bring it back and in what timing is the key here. Good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. I mean, definitely timing is going to be very, very complicated for the prime minister if she had intended to hold a vote in the next day or two. That now does look incredibly unlikely because of this ruling from the Speaker of the House of Commons. In terms of how you can solve this dilemma, there are a number of options I'm happy to outline to you at length. But essentially, take a listen to how John Burka himself interpreted this precedent and applied it to the current set of circumstances. If the government wishes to bring forward a new proposition that is neither the same nor substantially the same as that disposed of by the House on the 12th of March, this would be entirely in order. What the government cannot legitimately do is to resubmit to the House the same proposition or substantially the same proposition as that of last week, which was rejected by 149 votes. This ruling should not be regarded as my last word on the subject. It is simply meant to indicate the test 
which the government must meet in order for me to rule that a third meaningful vote can legitimately be held in this parliamentary session. Now, this was a possibility that's been floated for some time by several people going back as, as far back as January, in fact. And it seemed, nonetheless, to really take number 10 Downing Street by surprise. Several hours after this ruling from the House Speaker, we got a statement from Downing Street saying, we note the Speaker's statement, this is something that requires proper consideration. How they're going to get around this potentially between now and March 29th, if Theresa May does still intend to try and pass her deal, involves things like proroguing Parliament, essentially cancelling this parliamentary session, getting Queen Elizabeth in to give yet another speech, starting a new session of Parliament, potentially trying to get a majority of MPs to say at the start of a new motion, notwithstanding what the Speaker's already said, we still X, Y, Z. But the challenge there, we've seen this over the last few months repeatedly, is that the government does not have a stable majority. So there's no guarantee they would get a majority of MPs to even push for that kind of option. So options narrowing once again for Theresa May. John Burke, the Speaker, being accused of trying to force through a longer extension. But that may certainly be one of the set of circumstances we end up facing, given without her deal passing a shorter extension from the EU in Brussels this week looks a lot less likely. Willem, can I go straight to the barbell both sides? Because what we had was this emergence that a, a hard Brexit, uh, like a cliff edge scenario is still possible. But then so too is the possibility maybe of a second referendum or, or just never leaving. You saw the way the pound reacted yesterday. We breached that 132 mark, we went lower. Now we've gone right back up again past the 132.50 50 mark in uh, morning trade. So just talk us through those scenarios where the second referendum is now possible, but also whether that disaster date could happen on the 29th of March. Well, look, if you look at the 29th of March as a cliff edge, Parliament has made it very clear on more than one occasion now they don't want to see that happen. So Theresa May, under a huge amount of political pressure, if not legal pressure, to try and avoid that possibility. Of course, that hinges, as we all know, on the European side allowing that extension to avoid that cliff edge. So that's the one possibility, and you park it there. If you look at the idea of a second referendum, that is something that Labour has previously abstained on in last week's votes. But over the course of the weekend, the leader of Labour, Jeremy Corbyn, has said he is still open to that possibility. That is something that they would like to try and pursue. The timing last week, according to all the campaigners in favour of a second referendum, was not right. But that's not to say they won't try and apply that to Theresa May's own deal, potentially with what they call an amendment, a tweak, whereby they would say, we'll pass this deal if you put this to a public vote and that public vote must include the possibility of remaining a member of the European Union. So that's yet another complexity to all this. If that amendment is to be attached to a government motion at some point in the next 10 days before March 29th, then we could realistically see that passing and we could realistically see the possibility of a second referendum in order to essentially rubber stamp or approve Theresa May's deal or vote against it in a public forum. Yeah, well explained, William. Uh, that's very good. Look, look, one thing that I think is interesting, I think maybe inadvertently Burko, who we should remind people, though he doesn't have party affiliation, he was elected a Tory well, many moons ago. Um, he might have done her a favour because I think, and I don't know what you think, but he was struggling. I look thought she was struggling to get her numbers, even if she got the DUP on board. There were some hardcore Brexiteers who don't like it for a whole host of reasons, not just because of the Brexit backstop. So maybe this changes her mission, and we'll come to Silver in a few moments' time, changes her mission uh, to the EU summit to say, just give me something extra and I can go back and then I can go back and present this third MV3, so to speak, because I think she may well have lost this vote even if she got the DUP on board. Just wonder what your thoughts are, sir. 
I think the idea that she could go to Brussels and ask for changes is only possible if she's talking about the political declaration. We've heard again and again from those in Brussels, the withdrawal agreement is not open for renegotiation. So the only way that they could potentially circumvent this ruling from Burko is to come back with a withdrawal agreement that's unchanged, but with a political declaration that might see some tweaks. And we didn't see that last time around when they tried to make changes ahead of the second, quote, meaningful vote on this. So that might be a way that a third meaningful vote next week could have those changes that would allow the speaker to pass it through as something that could be voted on. That's one possibility. In terms of what that means for the parliamentary calendar, though, is unclear. Remember, once she comes back from Brussels on Friday, we have just five working days until that Brexit deadline. That would require a huge amount of work in Parliament to try and get those MPs to back her. Remember, she lost by 149 votes last time around last week. That means she needs to flip 75 MPs. There's almost a dozen DUP members from Northern Ireland. And then obviously a lot of recalcitrant Tories who've said very categorically they will not favour her deal under any circumstances. Trying to get enough Labour to switch sides to support her will be a massive challenge as well. Fabulous. Thank you very much indeed for that. It's been a very complicated story, but uh, good to get your take on that as well. Well, I'm um, just adding to the uh, to the story as well. UK Conservative lawmakers, some, not all of them, are reportedly demanding a departure date for Prime Minister Theresa May in return for backing her Brexit deal, according to the Financial Times. Pro-Brexit MPs that don't want May leading the UK into future talks with the EU. I think we've heard a lot of that um, talk uh, over the last few days. Now. Maybe that would be the, the, the carrot that would get them over the line. Anyway, a final decision from the EU on their part on a Brexit extension now could be delayed until next week, according to Reuters. The UK's request to delay its departure from the EU is expected to be discussed at an EU leaders' summit this week. Sylvia is in Brussels with the latest. Uh, Sylvia, what are they making of all this in, uh, in Euroland? Good morning, Steve. Well, all is up in the air. It's really uncertain what's going to happen next. Yesterday, we had some media reports suggesting that the EU could change the departure date from March 29th to July 1st to allow the UK government to have another vote on the withdrawal agreement. But a European official explained to me last night that even in that situation, you would need the consensus from the 27 European countries and approval from the UK side to change the departure date. So that's uncertain at this stage. And in terms of what we can expect here on Thursday when Prime Minister Theresa May arrives to meet the other 27 leaders, well, she can indeed ask for an extension, both a long or a short one. What we know at this stage is that there's no common position among the 27 other European countries regarding that possible extension. Certain countries prefer a long delay because they believe the main priority should be avoiding a no-deal Brexit at every cost. On the other hand, other countries believe that that is not a good enough reason. They see a lot of implications on the EU side if it if indeed, I should say, they move ahead with a long extension. We're talking about, for instance, how will the European elections work in uh, late May if indeed there's an, a long extension. Let's not forget that in that case of a long extension, the UK would be a full member of the EU. It would have a say in every single policy decision here in uh, Brussels. Trade talks as well could not begin until the end of the extension, um, until the extension is actually over. And then, of course, 
course, perhaps the biggest issue is that even in the case of, an, of a long extension, the no deal scenario would still be on the table. So in order to understand what happens next, we really have to wait for the summit here on Thursday. We need to hear from the Prime Minister as well as from the other 27 leaders. We're hoping that we'll get some clarity on Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't mean to laugh at your report. I'm laughing at the, the, the hope of clarity, if, if only. Sylvia, excellent. Thank you very much indeed for that. Clarity. Any chance of it on Thursday? I think most of you are cynical by now, aren't you? Anyway, more on the House of Commons Speaker John Perko's Brexit intervention. Head online to cnbc.com. You have to look at the man, look at his history as well to see why he did that. A lot of people are just blindly saying, oh, it's because he's opposed to Brexit. I'm not sure that's the whole story anyway, but there's a good piece on CNBC.com that talks you through some of these issues as well. Karen, uh, the Dow was up a four-day win streak. Yes, uh, investors still betting that the Fed will be patient, but potentially also very dovish this week at the end of its two-day meeting. And that's putting appetite back into the risk areas of the market. Technology, for instance, bank stocks, uh, despite the fact that banks will be hit by uh, net interest margins not going up, and that should have been a, a little bit of a negative. But liquidity going back into the market and a dovish Fed seems to be bolstering a lot of assets. You can see that right across the board. When it comes to the S&P 500, you may recall Credit Suisse yesterday changing its target for year-end for the index to 3,025 from where we trade around this 2,832 level in trade yesterday, so suggesting there's significant upside for U.S. stocks. When it comes to parts of the market, well, technology is quite key. I heard some comments yesterday suggesting that technology is benefiting from low interest rates because it is propelling that risk on money. And you did see on the Nasdaq yesterday the likes of Amazon and Microsoft supported for the trade. One of the exceptions, though, was Facebook having its worst trading day for the year as analysts again raking over the changes to the model that the social media company has been pursuing, trying to change towards more private conversations, which destroys the model that we know where Facebook has been pushing as many ads as it can into news feeds and in front of some of its subscribers. So that was one stock that did trade a little bit weaker. But another big prop for the market, WTI hitting a, a fresh four-month high in trade. Well, let's take you to the Asian markets, also picking up on what the Fed may or may not do in the Wednesday session. And you can see uh, markets just turning a little bit softer into the session. We were around six-and-a-half-month highs on the China markets yesterday. So just cooling off some of those levels, trading down almost four-tenths of a percent, but just mildly off some of these indices. And you can see on Japan trading down less than a tenth of a percent. Uh, a quick look at the Shanghai Composite and how it has traded over the past month. Uh, it has been uh, what uh, you would say is a stunning performance to the upside, 12% in just one month. So this just a slight retreat of uh, less than four-tenths of 1% in one session. Not much considering the, the fairly strong double-digit gains that we've experienced. And the Shenzhen, uh, let's just take a look at that index as well. It has been uh, a solid performer as well, outpacing the Shanghai Composite up 16%. So uh, that tells you about some of those big tech-heavy stocks to uh, expose to the region. Let's get to Andrew Collier, who is Managing Director and Founder at Orient Capital Research. Andrew, a lot of different factors uh, supporting Chinese stocks at this stage. It doesn't necessarily seem to come down to trade, though. Uh, everyone's eyeing the stimulus that the Chinese authorities are throwing at the system. That's absolutely right. I mean, I'm sort of amused hearing all this talk about Brexit. And for once, the attention is now in places like the UK and not in China. And that's actually good news for Chinese equities because we have a situation where there's a lot of positive news flow and a lot, not a lot of bad news flow. Uh, the mo most important things are the National People's Congress occurred a week or so ago, and basically it was steady as it goes in terms of economic policy. 
Um, you have a situation where there's been continuing dialogue between Washington and Beijing, and the Chinese press reported that there were discussions by phone a couple days ago. So people are taking that on board as a positive sign. Uh, you've got a situation where a global um, bank uh, policy is fairly benign, which is positive for China, as it is for every other country. And lastly, going into 2019, we've got the revaluation of the indices, the MSCI and some other indices, where there's an expectation of as much as 80 billion U.S. flowing into Chinese equities in 2019 as funds rebalance. So essentially, uh, we've got a lot of near-term positive uh, noise. I'm not so ho hopeful necessarily for the back half of the year, but so far it looks good. So follow the money is, is the argument there. I, I want to get into where investors should be looking because I was reading an article this morning that suggested that CapEx across many Asian companies has been cut this year, given all the concerns around trade. That's where you are seeing some implications with Brexit and also the lack of a resolution between the US-China spat. However, the flip side could be that cash flows are bolstered from some of these Asian companies, which could have uh, the added impact of pushing money back to some of the investors through dividends. Is this a play that you would consider for the for the Chinese stock market? Uh, no, I don't think the dividend um, uh, play is necessarily as solid in China as it might be in the United States because Chinese companies uh, feel a lot less beholden to investors and there's a lot less stock owned by investors compared to insiders. Uh, but it is true that the, if there is investment by companies, that is positive for the overall fixed status investment and for the growth of the Chinese economy. So, so far, apart from, you know, hiccups in the tech sector, as everybody knows, and, and fairly significant layoffs among small businesses that are not listed and wouldn't show up on the exchanges, we're looking at a fairly positive environment within China. Um, look, we had this enormous rally, Andrew, off the lows, extraordinary 24% rally so far year to date as well. It's left the PE uh, on the valuation, just purely in valuation terms is what I'm looking at as well. Around about 13, give or take, we'll be looking at uh, trailing or forward as well. What does this represent historically compared to the long-term average, Andrew? Well, the, it depends on how far you, back you go. At, at some points, it was uh, well above 30, uh, pushing into 40. So, it, you know, you'd have to see what your uh, interest is. Now, there, remember, the market is composed of a lot of retail investors who are chasing short-term trends. Then you have the long-term investment funds within China, and then you've got the external funds. So there's sort of two different um, halves here. If retail investors look around and they say, okay, there's, there's no stimulus, but the economy's doing okay, and the trade war looks like it might be coming to an end, they're gonna chase the trends. And then investors in the bigger, more institutional equities are gonna follow that because that's the nature of the market. It's not a very rational way to go because you're following the money, as one of your, your colleagues just pointed out, but that's what they're doing here. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.